Welcome to Marketing School, the only podcast that provides daily top-level marketing tips and strategies from entrepreneurs that practice what they preach and live what they teach. Let's start leveling up your marketing knowledge with your instructors, Neil Patel and Eric Sue. All right, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to do a episode longer form one. And the first thing that we wanted to cover in this episode is the fact that there is one person that I know that gets over 100 million impressions on his LinkedIn page. And I want to talk about kind of the, the 110 million to be exact, which is a lot of impressions, And it's per month, right? Well, see, I didn't want to give it away, but now it kind of gets a little closer to who it is. So now I can't reveal revenue numbers. So anyway, as I was saying, this person gets um, gets 100. Uh, we'll just reveal who the person is. Um, he, he runs a, a page called Marketing Millennials. His name is Daniel Murray. And um, I want to talk about how he's growing this page. And it's it's from my understanding, it does multiple seven figures a year. And he basically started growing it in 2020. And um, this one channel is LinkedIn. And so the one thing that, you know, I wanted to go into a little more detail here is, is kind of how he monetizes and, and what type of content he posts to get the 110 million impressions. Cause that's a lot on LinkedIn, especially if you're considering how much you're paying um, for a typical CPM or per click on LinkedIn. And so um, here's the first thing I will say, and then I'll kick it over to you, Neil, to kind of get your reaction here. Um, I didn't know this. I don't know if you know this, Neil, but did you know that a LinkedIn page actually uh, a company page versus a personal page, there's a big difference. Do you know what the difference is? Uh, no, but um, I don't know what the difference is, but we see with corporate pages, they get a lot of love compared to personal pages. Yeah, and the reason for that, so so Neil's, bring, Neil's kind of seeing this, is that a company page doesn't get throttled as much as a personal page does. So if you're posting too much to your personal page on LinkedIn, you get throttled, your reach gets throttled. But a company page... Um, according to what Daniel is saying is it doesn't get throttled, which is why you can kind of go to town. And so what he's done for his marketing millennials page is um, it's very simple, right? I don't want to, I don't want to make, make, I don't want to make it sound like it's easy, but it's very simple. What he does is he will take memes or kind of uh, quotes from other people, nice images, and he just post it to LinkedIn and he just cite the person and it'll do really well. And so an example of this is earlier this week, what I did was uh, Tim Solo from Ahrefs. He posted a picture on how like everyone's becoming an AI expert very quickly. So I just took it from Twitter. He got like 18 likes or whatever on Twitter. I took it from Twitter. I put it on LinkedIn. I gave him credit. I got 2,700 likes and 170,000 people that saw it. So that's literally what Daniel Murray does. That's one of his main growth strategies to propel that page. Yeah, If you look at his content specifically, it doesn't matter if you're B2B or B2C. If you want to go viral on Twitter and get the amount of impressions that like marketing millennials is, you got to post content that appeals to the masses. So he'll have content like an image that says, focus on what matters. And it'll be a circle and a small fraction of it, call it like one-tenth of it, is highlighted in red. And he's like, focus here. And 90% of the circle will be, uh, he'll label it like things we obsess about. And he's telling you don't focus there. Um, or there'll be a little meme of like a one-person team a one person team marketers doing everything. And it's just like uh, a person on a one wheel tricycle juggling, putting stuff on their head. Uh, or he has another image that says like growth is never a straight line. And it's just a jaggy line that goes up and to the right. Here's the thing to know. If you're looking to generate revenue from newsletters, ads, things like that, these impression counts, not bad. Go for 
you know, a big chunk of impressions, whatever's going to generate the most. If you're looking for, and this is specifically on LinkedIn, if you're looking for enterprise clients, because I know a lot of you guys use LinkedIn for enterprise marketing, if you put out a lot of broad content, we've done a lot of tests on this. It's not going to help you generate the right type of customers. If you're looking for enterprise software sales, enterprise consulting contracts, you got to get very specific targeting the actual position and the uh, type of person that you want to sell into. So for example, we sell a lot of times into marketing managers, head of marketings, VP of marketings, uh, VP of growth, CMOs. So we'll try to post content that appeals specifically to them, like a case study of results we provided for another client, or we'll post content on um, things like you know, uh, cookie-less world for marketers and what enterprise companies need to understand for that because that's something that they're concerned a lot about, at least from uh, our talks with Forrester. So covering topics like that won't create the virality, won't get us 110 million impressions, but it does generate really qualified leads and revenue for us. Yeah, and this actually dovetails into, I, I was gonna talk about the, um, I went to a private creator event uh, earlier this week in Vegas. Neil wasn't in town, uh, but I dropped by. And there are a lot of YouTube creators there. There were some TikTok creators. There are some OnlyFans creators as well. And one of the so the, the main kind of a fireside chat that night was from these two YouTubers, Sam and Colby. And they go around exploring haunted houses, right? And they have about 8 million subs on YouTube. And so I, I found it to be uh, one thing that really stuck with me on what they said. And this kind of ties into what, what, what you're saying, Neil, is the idea of spectacle marketing versus relationship building marketing, right? Or like spectacle content versus relationship building content. So when you think about spectacles, it's like Mr. Beast, right? Like he hired an assassin to like find him or whatever, right? And you win like a hundred thousand at the very end. Or like, I just saw a video yesterday where like it shows him on a $1 plane versus a flight versus a $500,000 flight. And there's like this, it's a whole lot of work to do, right? Now, what that means is that's a spectacle, right? You're going to get a lot of views to get a Neil's point, but also relationship marketing or, or content on the other side is you might be going deep in one area, but your even your, your total addressable market for your content is much smaller, but it's getting a lot more targeted and you're going to be able to build a deeper relationship. And so what they do is instead of doing these five to 10 minute spectacles, now they're doing like one hour, two hour, maybe they're more like long form, you know, could be like long form content that they're making or could be interviews. Um, it's a little different because you're going deep on the relationship there. So kind of similar, kind of different, but that's why I wanted to combine them together. I do want to show the, the screen as well. So Neil, let me, um, I'm going to try this presentation. Oh, upgrade your plan to team. Okay. Yep. Not doing that. So let's move <laughs> over to <laughs> move over here. Eric and I are still frugal. Bad economy. Save that. every penny you can. <laughs> yeah. So you can see the example I was talking about. If you're watching us on YouTube of him telling you where to focus in the circle or the growth line. Um, but you can see how his content just appealed to broad audiences. He has an uh, image of Kim Kardashian leveraging a meme there. But this is stuff that's not going to drive you really qualified leads for enterprise, but it can get you a ton of followers. And then when you do post related content, um, hopefully- Oh my God. In your audience see it. Dude, this is the <laughs> this is the one I posted. <laughs> he po <laughs> That's funny. He did even better. So basically- um, Daniel took a meme that I, maybe I reposted or maybe he saw from someone else, but he's giving credit over here and, um, it actually did better than mine. I'm sure this one got like three or 400,000 impressions, but the quality of your impressions matters to Neil's point. So, um, that's that. 
So I'm going to stop the share on this one and um, I'll, I'll close it off and then we'll switch it over to what Neil's talking about, uh, wants to talk about in a second. But this YouTube creators event that I went to, um, a couple of lessons I learned, <clears throat> I'm, I'm actually just going to share one for now. One is everyone has their own unique funnel. And so as I was saying earlier, uh, I met a gal that does um, that does OnlyFans and I have no judgment for those that do OnlyFans. Like your business is your business, right? It's, I'm just looking at this from a marketing standpoint. And so... Um, she drives all her traffic from Twitter. So she posts like a, you know, like a, a photo of herself, like photos of herself. Right. And sometimes these photos will get like 1 million impressions, 2 million impressions or so. And then in the comments, they'll just say subscribe to my OnlyFans. So it's very simple funnel, right? Like people see what they want. It's like, if you want to upgrade, go over to OnlyFans, right? That's the model that she, she has. And, um, she does over seven figures a year just doing that. And I'm oversimplifying. It's not just doing that. It's very simple. It's not easy because there's a lot of work that goes into content uh, creation on that side. Now, that's one example with Twitter, but then there's another guy I know, he uses TikTok and through TikTok, he drives all that traffic because TikTok, you could go the most viral of all the short form platforms. He uses that, drives them to his Instagram page and then through his Instagram page, drives them to a phone call, right? To buy his $2,000 course. And through that, he's doing $20 million a year. He runs no ads. He's a solo person business, just like the, the OnlyFans gal. They're solo person businesses. And I just think that's really impressive what they're doing. And both of them actually are buying like, you know, uh, a bunch of rentals to, you know, to either cash flow or Airbnb, which is also cash flowing as well. But I find that really interesting. Yeah. So, um, no, it, it, it definitely is. Dude, what's funny is, uh, did you ever listen to the Cody Sperber interview of the OnlyFans girl? Who the hell is that? Sorry, not to be rude. Is, uh, he calls himself the clever investor. Oh, he's, yeah, 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 yeah. Clever he's investor. A real estate guy, really smart when it comes to real estate and more than that. But he interviewed someone who's popular in OnlyFans. And uh, yeah, you know, some of them are generating like millions and millions a and month, millions a year. too. Yeah, it, it's crazy. I'm, you know, and then in my head, I was thinking, I'm like, what are they going to do in the long run? Like, once, once that revenue dies down, because it doesn't last forever, right? It's just like, I, I don't know the exact type of content that they're posting, but it's not hard to guess. And again, I'm not judging it. But if someone's posting or they're buying your content because of how you look, we all get older. It's natural. There's nothing wrong with getting older. Are they going to still subscribe? Maybe they will because people are also. So Neil, I asked her, do you want to know the answer? Yeah. You want to know the answer? Okay. So I, I had the same question, right? So I just asked her straight up. I was like, okay, so what happens, you know, in the next couple of years? Like, is this like a long-term thing? And she was like, no, like I'm, she's like, I'm buying like a house every single year right now. And I want to buy more homes and I just want to cash flow off the homes. And I was like, that's really that's smart. smart. You're buying assets. You're buying assets. Yeah. And you know, what's yeah. funny, um, Neil, we had, remember we, at, at the Miami uh, mastermind, we had Pomp speaking and he, Anthony Pompliano, he actually did an event and one of the panels was, um, for porn stars. Right. And all of them have become investors. Now they're no longer doing porn. And so the whole idea here is that you can't keep working, like getting paid by the hour. You have to have assets at the end of the day. Otherwise you're not really, you know, wealthy. Yeah. The, the big lesson for any of you guys, whether it's only fans or not, the question is, is how can you make your money work for you instead of you continually having to work for the money? And it's funny because I travel a lot, you know, uh, Eric knows this, he was messaging me on another event, but like right now I'm pretty much traveling every single week, which kind of gets hard with the uh, wife and kids. 
Um, so much so, like I even thought about buying a jet. I spent way too many hours last year looking at jets, bad for the environment. Uh, my wife and I are little green people. Um, and then I started looking again just because like I miss – uh, being around my kids and I'm like, Oh, I could probably cut my travel down into half of the days I'm away from my children. Uh, if I buy a plane or charter, I can do one or the other. Uh, and I mainly travel international, which it kind of gets really expensive. But, uh, you know, the, the overall point is when I travel for events, I don't know why I brought up the jet point, but when I travel for events, most people look at me as a marketer and Eric knows this, although, I'm already leading him by asking him this question. Eric, what do you see me as? I mean, no, I, I actually see you more as a business person now. Maybe I used to see you as a marketer before we met, but it's different now. Yeah. But that's all. But I also know you really well, so it's different. Yes. And I don't make the majority of my money from marketing. I make it from business oh. and investments mm -hmm. and it compounds over time. It's how do you get your money to work for you more and more over time? That is really the key to succeeding. <clears throat> That's actually another lesson. So um, I don't know, Neil, we talked about this a couple of years ago, but I, I used to hate the fact that people looked at me as they looked at both of us as, as SEO people first. Right. And then kind of a subset of marketing. Yeah. I'm like, God, that's so annoying. Like, I feel like I'm so much more than that. But at the end of the day, it's actually good to be known for like one area because it's like easy for people to understand. And so I've grown to like accept that. And I think it's the same for you. Yeah, I don't really care what people think of me as. It's more so if you are a marketer, whether it's affiliate marketer or any type of marketer, and that's how you generate your income, it doesn't mean you need to take your money and only make more by doing more marketing stuff. It could be you buy an e-commerce site, do your marketing talents on it, and then have that residual income without you running it anymore and you sip pina coladas on the beach, whatever it may be. Or I take a lot of my money and I park it in venture funds, private equity funds, and hedge funds, and I'm getting consistent returns. I've been doing that for ages where now I could just live off that money and I don't ever need to work again. Yes, that money isn't quote unquote um, as liquid. I also do stocks or quite a bit of stocks as well. But still, it's just like it's consistent enough. You know, if you invest in them every single year and you've been doing it for 10 years, you have enough liquidity each year. Or I can just do a capital call on uh, a hedge fund or sell some of my stocks or anything like that. And now these days, the banks will actually lend you against your uh, private equity holdings. Yep. So I, I think it's important for those of you that are looking to buy assets. You have to understand what the timeline looks like for your return and what type of return that you might get, right? And understand kind of um, the risk profiles of each thing that you're going to put in. So for example, let's not to go too deep on this, but if you're going to put money into a, a venture fund, your money is probably locked up for usually their timeline seven years, right? Uh, sometimes it could be longer than that or whatever, but um, those are like, you know, you're going to get, get a hit every now and then, right? You're going to get like a, hopefully a hundred bagger or a thousand bagger or whatever it is. Right. Um, but you know, and oftentimes it goes to zero. So you just have to understand your risk profile. Usually if you're buying real estate, then it, you're going to have this cap rate, right? And it's, 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 a, it's a legit, like it's illiquid, but it's like a physical asset, right? And so a lot of people like it. It's easy to understand. People are always going to need to live in spots. And maybe we'll do an episode on this separately if you guys like it. Um, and by the way, we do appreciate all the, re the new reviews that are coming in that like the long form videos. Yeah, keep it up. That'll keep us going here. So um, let's go on the next subject. So Neil, you brought this up. Um, and again, Neil was traveling this week, but he saw this one that caught his eye on ChatGPT getting banned in Italy. Yeah, they're, they're worried about 
claims to the work that ChatGPT is producing the content based off of. So ChatGPT is a much, 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 much better version than an article spinner when it comes to creating content. Here's what I mean by that, right? And I'm not trying to degrade what Sam Altman did with uh, OpenAI, it's amazing. Our article spinner is you input content and it spins out a variation of that content. So it's using the input sources and then it's spitting out text for you. Now what ChatGPT is doing for most marketers, and it does way more than this, but just in a basic form, it's scraping the web for content on any topic so that when you ask it a question related to a specific segment, like if you ask it a question related to uh, social media marketing, it goes and looks at all the content that is scraped around social media marketing and it'll create new content based uh, off of that, right? So in essence, it's using original pieces of article or information as a sources to go and create something new. And uh, Italy doesn't like that. And I bet you're going to see way more countries not liking it as well. And it's not just from a text-based content perspective with the responses they're giving, with the poems they're writing, with anything that you're asking ChatGPT to do. It's pulling from a database full of content. And that content is what it's using to go and create new content. That's why I always say it's a better and a new version of an article spinner, um, not trying to undermine what OpenAI did. It's really complex. I'm not smart enough to do what they did. Um, it's genius. And yeah, I think you're gonna have way more countries within Europe uh, having issues. And I would first see it out of Europe because that's where you have GDPR and they're very strict and picky about privacy. Uh, and then maybe you'll start seeing other countries start following suit. Or at least there's going to be either A, lawsuits or a lot of legal issues. And I'm not a lawyer, but I bet something like that's going to follow. If not, you're going to get the ambulance chasers, at least in the United States, trying to sue someone because they use chat GPT and figure out how they can just make a quick buck. Yep. So, you know, we're going to tie all this together and give you the, the marketing lesson in a bit. But I just wanted to show you this, um, my screen here as... Neil, I don't know if you know this, but um, when we were babies, this actually happened. Teachers wanted to ban calculators in 1988. Have you seen this? No. Yeah. So teachers wanted to ban it, right? I mean, it's it, rightfully so because this is like a more intense version. Like <laughs> ChatGPT can basically do your homework for you. Um, it could do a lot more than that. And here's the other thing. I don't know if you saw this, Neil, but David Sachs, who founded Yammer um, and is a he's um, he, let's just call him a popular SaaS investor. He's one of the co-hosts of the All In podcast. He did this post over here on the give to get model for AI startups. So you can see almost 20 years ago, startup named Jigsaw. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but it's a pretty well done post over here, right? So it basically, he, his whole argument here is... You're still sharing your screen on the teachers wanting to ban capital. Oh, am I? Yeah, let me let me switch. Let me switch. Sorry. Thanks for the call out. Um, here, one second. Let's switch over to this one, this David Sachs one. Okay. So this post over here, he, so he has his sub stack, right? Like th there's, there's a post within a post here. I just want to show you this post. It's, it's pretty good. And you scroll over here. It just, this give to get model, right? It's pretty long form. And you know what? Most of it was done by AI. It, it's like, he's making a point and most of it was done by AI. I'm wondering how many words this was. Okay. There's about 1100 words or so. So decent word count, but you know, he had the whole, but if it's 1100 words, the chances are he helped modify it because there's no way. Oh, he, he did. Absolutely. But yeah, I'm just saying this AI tools don't produce 1100 words that are really well written. Most AI writers will produce around 500 words for you. Just for yeah, a rough you know, reference for most of you guys. Yes, you can get them to produce like 750 and stuff. But the moment you want to have them produce a thousand plus words and it'd be high quality, you have to do more of a paragraph by paragraph output. Check this out. 
Neil, can you see this screen? Yeah. Okay. So there's a site called Share GPT. So you can actually share the conversations you're having with ChatGPT. So he starts it off with, are you familiar with the technology startup called Jigsaw that was acquired by Salesforce.com? For, unfortunately, Neil and I are both familiar with this, which dates us. Um, <laughs> can you provide a detailed summary of his com- company history, business model, and product? So you can see how, this is nice. Okay, right? That's the correct company. Can you tell me about you know its unique crowdsourced approach to collecting and maintaining data? I'm not going to bore you with all that, but basically, as he goes through this, he's like, okay, can you create like a blog post for this? And then the the, the content, some of the output will get cut off, and it'll be like, oh, you're cut off. Can you can you finish it off? And then it'll actually finish it off. Oh, can you create a table for me? Right. The whole idea here of me showing this to you right now is that you know you can use assistant. Like oftentimes for me, even when I was talking to Neil today, he wanted to record earlier. I was in the middle of like ideating for more content and that's where I get blocked usually. And I think a lot of content creators do. You have an ideator here for you that can also do the research and you can handle the last mile of the editing, you know, adding links, you know, citations and things like that. Um, And you can see this is a deep conversation, but maybe this got like, you know, 50 or 60% of the work done and then he edited the rest. Right. And I think because the genie is out of the bottle, I'm going to stop my share here, but because of the genie is out of the bottle on this stuff, I don't believe you can try to ban, you can try to petition like earlier this week, there's a petition signed by Elon Musk and all these people. Hum- like the market wants what it's want, what it wants. And once the genie's out of the bottle, like you can't put it back in. Same thing with crypto, right? It's, it's very hard to put it back in, especially since crypto has been around for a while too, but I digress. Yep. Look at the end of the day, you know, if, you look at chat GPT and AI, it's here to stay. It's just going to go through a lot of legal hurdles, regulation hurdles, and it's going to go through a lot of ups and downs, but eventually it's going to be used more and more in businesses to just make life easier, whether it's in helping write content, which is what most marketers think, but start thinking bigger, like it helping you analyze analytics in real time. And then you making more informed marketing decisions daily versus monthly or quarterly and you would have way less wasted spend which may not seem like a big deal to you but like think about a company like procter and gamble where they spend over eight billion billion with a b dollars in advertising doing daily analysis of your analytics and your campaigns i if i had a guess would easily save them hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars right so for enterprise businesses it will save them an arm and a leg Um, and then also think about it from a process standpoint it'll make things much more efficient yeah. And at the end of the day, we live in a capitalistic society. I don't care where you live in the world, right? It's it, whatever, whatever country you still, there's a lot of capitalism going on. So um, I'm not going to speak on that anymore. But um, one, one thing we want to touch upon that was also related to this, I was talking to Neil uh, before we started recording was um, Dharmesh Shah, who is one of the co-founders of HubSpot. Um, he recently was quoted as spending over eight figures, over 10 million on uh, the domain chat.com. And he spent about seven figures on the domain prompt.com. And just to give a little more context here, um, obviously with chat GPT and obviously with, with um, chat GPT, you have to think of the, the best prompts, right? And also you're chatting with it as well. And so he hasn't quite figured out what he wants to do with chat.com, but at least with prompt.com, at least, you know, that, that might be a site where he has like the, the, the best prompts, right? Because prompt engineering is very much a thing now. And so what I wanted to talk about, um, actually, Neil, let's get your reaction first, and then I'll give you my reaction in terms of what I think the business uh, marketing case is here too. Yeah, I think he's going to end up using it for something related to marketing because that's what HubSpot's business is all about, sales and marketing. And he'll use it for something related to AI. Uh, and I do believe, why wouldn't HubSpot start going after this category? They are a massive corporation. 
Yeah, and you know it takes guts. I mean, even though he's uh, he's a billionaire, to take his own money off his own balance sheet and um, you know make it work first, and then probably you know give it back to HubSpot. Um, you know that's how he looks at. Like he likes to tinker, right? Like the the business kind of um, one other angle that that's tied in with this too is that Darmesh. So, let's put it in perspective. So just to give you guys idea, if someone has a billion dollars and they spend ten million dollars on a domain name, it's one percent. So yes, it does take guts. Uh, two, I think it's a smart move either way. But it for HubSpot or him, whoever ended up purchasing it, it's not a lot of cash. Yep, we're uh, in, <laughs> relatively in, in, in speaking. perspective, right? Yeah. It's like it's like Bill Gates spending. If Bill Gates spent a billion dollars, people are like okay, whoop de doo. He still has nine hundred or ninety nine billion more dollars. It doesn't really make a difference. Yeah. So relatively speaking, no, right? But like practically speaking, yes, it's still it's. So I'm I'm with you, right? At the end of the day, but I get what you're saying. Um. So <laughs> going back, going back to Darmesh, like there's there's one there's a business lesson here because the way he started HubSpot was always like, hey, like I don't want any direct reports. I just like, I'm a tinker. Like I just want to tinker with stuff. And you know, this is one of those things. Like he's just, he's always been tinkering, right? Like he's always tried a lot of different things. Some end up working, some don't like inbound.org that work. Eventually he decided to shut it down. Um, you know, he started this chat thing actually a couple years ago called GrowthBot. Funny enough, I had a trademark for a company called GrowthBot as well. So I like to tinker too. Um, and so, you know, but now he's back and now like, it seems like the timing is correct for this. That's one piece of it. The other thing is he mentioned that this is what I think is smart. Um, when you want access to like the best rooms when it comes to people talking about this stuff, AI, um, you know, it's like, oh, it's Darmesh. He's like the co-founder of HubSpot, but he has chat.com and prompt.com. He really wants access to all these rooms because he thinks it's the new frontier. So I think that's another angle that you can play when it comes to networking. That Now, not everyone can shell out, you know, seven or eight figures to go buy something to get access, but think about what you can buy access into, whether it's like a group or a network or whatever, to help propel you forward in whatever it is that you're trying to do. So that's more of a business angle there. Neil? No, uh, I, I think it's smart. And also look at his bets. Uh, it's not about him buying chat or prompt or anything like that. HubSpot and Darmesh just generally, if you look at their history, they make many bets, whether it's their website grader or going free on a CRM and going after Salesforce. Some of these bets in business and marketing pay off. Some of them don't. It's a numbers game and their batting average is amazing. So why not keep placing these bets? Yeah, some of them may cost you 10 million here, there, 15 here, and you know, like it all adds up. But if you just look at HubSpot stock, you're talking about a $21 billion company. That's the valuation of it. So whether it's 10 million or 15 million, it's not that much money in the grand scheme of things. And by the way, you know, four years ago, I was speaking at a SaaS conference in Hong Kong, of all places, and the HubSpot GM of APAC was there. And we were talking about this. Um, they kind of pioneered this product-led growth uh, initiative, which means giving away um, your product for free and, and basically having like a crippled version where you have to kind of go around upgrading stuff, right? But you're giving away a lot of functionality for free. And he said that initially the company was really against this bet. Like 99% of people were against, you know, making it free because it was such a, is before going IPO, right? Before going public. And once they changed it, their trajectory just shot up. It was a hockey stick. And so 
sometimes, you know, you can take shots and worst case scenario, you can roll it back. You know, people are against it and you have to make contrarian bets. And um, I think Darmesh was a part of that to, to Neil's point. So, so that's that. Um, two more things we want to talk about. And as, as we work towards uh, getting towards the end, um, since we're on the top of AI, so Neil, how are you guys using it internally uh, at, at your company right now? It can help with process ideation, streamlining uh, content creation. We're also using it for uh, analytics analysis uh, and trying to get insights on a daily basis versus getting insights you know, on a weekly basis or quarterly basis or monthly basis. But we're really trying to get uh, insights on a daily basis more than anything. That's where we really see the opportunity. Yeah, content creation is already cheap. You can have a lot of people create content or use AI to create content, even come up with ideas. But analysis of analytics and getting insights daily, we see that being a real game changer in marketing, not only to save companies money, but to gobble up market share and create faster growth with less of a spend. Yep. One thing we're doing, and hopefully this gives you all some ideas in terms of how we're playing around with it. And I think Neil and I will continue to update you on, on how we're messing around with this stuff because it, it's fun. And we just want to get the ideas jogging for you as well to help your business. And so one thing that we implemented uh, two weeks ago, this one's very simple. We would just scrape kind of the top you know, websites out there and, and keep people updated on trends, right? So we might scrape like you know, search engine line or whatever and use ChatGPT and just kind of give a summary each week on like the top learnings, the top marketing trends. We might pull from newsletters as well. And then we'll just you know, throw it into Slack and, and you know, give, them, give people the ability to click through the link to actually learn more about those posts. That's one little thing that, that we did. But the thing that we added recently was we use Gong, which is our sales intelligence tool, but we can call it a conversational intelligence tool. We also use it. We use Gong as a client services tool too. So we will add in a Gong call recorder for whenever we're doing client calls. And through this, we are now through ChatGPT, we're now able to analyze all the Gong calls, analyze the sentiment on a scale of one to ten, how the call went, and if the the, the client is pissed or not, right? So it can detect if the client is pissed or not, just pulling from the, the transcript, and then that automatically gets exported into a spreadsheet, and we'll show each week that client one through ten, how are they rating? If it's like a nine or ten, it's green. If it's seven, eight, it is yellow, and if it's a six or below, it's a red. If it's red or yellow three weeks in a row. Now we have something objective that tells us how a client's traffic lights are trending. And so our people can jump on it and there's alerts that come out and it's objective. People can't, can't sweep things under the rug. We just face it front and center. And, um, you know, I'm excited to see where, where it goes, but we just implemented it and it, it, it seems like it's working pretty well already. Yeah, that's cool. Yep. Now, final thing. Um, so Neil, this one, I, I wanted to bring this one up. This you know, talk of employee leverage that is fading. So I, I was actually watching um, Patrick Bet David, who has an awesome podcast. Hopefully we can get him on, on this one day. But um, look, you have the whole setting the stage for this one is, you know, you look at companies like Meta, you look at companies like Amazon, but recently, you know, they, they've laid off a lot of people, but Accenture, who they're more of like a services company, they, they just cut 20,000 jobs. And um, you can see, you know, Disney, they cut their entire metaverse division. And so, you know, what we had said in basically 2020, it's like, oh, you know, there's a lot of employee leverage, um, you know, it, you know, it's like people will never go back to the office, whatever, you know, people, uh, Amazon was even talking about like wanting people to come back, but then like 20,000 people signed a petition, but then Amazon was like, hey, that's okay. Like we can either work on you coming back or like you can transition out. So I think we're starting to see the pendulum swing now for businesses where like, where like if we want to recruit someone out of college, you know, if like, if it's like a developer, it used to be like 500K if they went to Google, but now things are changing quite a bit. 
And um, I do believe like my bet on this one, especially being in, in marketing and being, especially if you're like creative, is that we're going to see a lot more long-term in the next five, 10 years or so, we're going to see people come back to hybrid. So that means three days in the office or two days in the office and then the rest work from home. But um, I don't think we're going to see as much, uh, you know, remote first. I think we got a taste of it, but I think most of us understand that at least a lot of founders I'm talking to, the understanding is that it's probably better to be in person. So Neil might disagree because they, they're fully committed to remote first. So I want to get your thoughts. We are committed to remote first. Uh, we do have WeWork still. So if people believe that it's more effective for them to be in person and meet with each other, we will set up satellite offices like WeWorks. In some cities, I think we have more than just a WeWork, but it really is based on two factors. One, it's what the employees want. Two, it's also what certain clients want because certain clients require us to have uh, certain presences in certain cities for at least the enterprise deals. Yep. So my, my take on this one too, I mean, look, when you're in person together, I, I Neil, we're, we're talking separately, like you were looking at, you know, office space in Vegas, more so not for, for your, for your, your people, but no, more just so just me. for you. Like, you know, yeah. like those really sick private equity offices. I'm not talking about the like law firms. Think of one, like one level higher and better uh -huh. than that. I've always just wanted that. And when I look at the economics, I don't want a small office. So even though it'd be only me in the office, I want at least 10,000 square feet. So you're probably talking, I would spend like three, $4 million on a build out and then the rent. And then my guys always tell me like, it would be a waste of money, but some things you just dream about and you want, um, I didn't end up spending it as my wife says best. She's like, you already travel every week. She's like, you're never going to even go into the office. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. So, uh, yeah. I never ended up doing it. Eric always said, he's like, Hey, if you move back down one day to SoCal, you can always, uh, uh, we can always get an office together, come into my office. Um, you know, I still don't know if I would go into an office. I thought about building a home and making one whole floor of the home, like my basement, uh, a office with like meeting rooms and conference tables and all that kind of stuff. Although I've never really done it, although it's in one of my house plans. Um, but I think what's going to end up happening is it's going to be different for every company. I know some companies, I kid you not, because of the type of people they're hiring, they need to be trained up. And a lot of them are flaky, like the type of employees they're going after because they're hiring unskilled labor. They don't want to pay them much. If you don't want to pay people much, don't expect the world from them. They need them to show up in the office or else they don't perform as well. And on the flip side, you know, if you're in an enterprise company, let's say consulting, and your people need to be doing meetings all the time, being flying to customers, selling they may not need an office or if they need an office, it may just be small because you may want them on the road because they close more revenue for you. I really do believe it's going to vary from company to company. Right now, you're seeing a big push for a lot of corporations to say, hey, you need to come into the office. It's going to make you more efficient. And I, I do buy it to some extent, but I do know a lot of people that are high up at places like Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, like really high up. I'm not talking about like VPs. I'm talking about extremely high up in people who have made well over a billion dollars in comp, either a early employees or b uh, some of the owners or co-founders. Some of these guys are just pushing for this because they don't want to, they want to lay off employees, but they don't actually want to lay them off because if they lay them off, it costs them a lot of money. But if they force people into the office, they know a ton of people are going to quit and that's just going to save them a lot of money. Yep. So that, that's one of the big realities here. So it's, it's not just one variable. There's a lot of variables at play, but that's a big one that Neil just mentioned. And there's a Wall Street Journal piece done on this um, a while back where it's like, oh, like instead of laying off, you just kind of force people to come back into the office. You save hundreds of millions of dollars. No joke. Like depending on your company size, you save a lot of money on severance. 
Yep. And then also here's the other thing too. Um, my take on this one is, is if you're mid senior level plus, if it's like, if it's like more like, you know, you're doing information work, like it's probably okay. You probably don't need to go into the office that much, but if you're junior coming out of like, keep in mind, like a lot of us, when the, when the pandemic first happened, like we were used to working like for me or you know working uh, at home or working in an office situation. Right. So like I was already accustomed to working, but if you're coming out of college, chances are you haven't developed work habits yet. You don't know how it is to collaborate with other people quite yet. And so th it makes more sense to have more junior people come into the office and collaborate a little more in the beginning and then switch off into like either remote first, like completely or do a little more of a hybrid model. Right. But um, if it's more junior, I tend to believe there needs to be a little more supervision in the beginning to help them build those work habits. If you're mid senior level plus, there's a little more flexibility, but my bet on this one in the next five, 10 years or so, I think we're going to see, the majority of companies have a hybrid model. Um, so yeah. Well, you wanna know it's funny, out of all the people I've trained in marketing, I haven't trained any of them in person on a regular basis in an office. Almost all of it was done virtually. You, I, you don't strike me as training anybody. <laughs> Not like training like, hey, let me teach you marketing from scratch. I'm talking about taking existing people who are starting and really helping them blossom. Yes, at NP Digital, even my past life, right? Like Sean, who managed a lot of our content marketing back in the day and got our blogs and millions of visitors a month, just teaching a little different strategies and tactics. But like he was based in Orange County and I was based in Seattle at the time. You could do a lot of stuff virtually. Uh, but the point I'm getting at is, and that was pre-Zoom, you, you can do a lot of stuff just over a Skype call or you know, just picking up the phone. And if someone already has the basic fundamentals, you can help them shine depending on what industry you're in, at least in marketing, without in-person. And yes, it's gonna work for some people, it's not gonna work for others, but I'm a big believer when you hire people, either some people have it and they have the drive and they just wanna push forward and those are the people you wanna hire. And then some people really need to be pushed and you have to micromanage them and those are the people I try to avoid hiring. By the way, on, on that note, um, like, if it's a high performer, remote first is fine for the most part, unless it's like you have to collaborate. It's not a high performer. Like, here's the thing that Neil's kind of getting to um, and, and kind of where I'm at too. If it's someone that needs to be micromanaged or needs to be pushed, I cannot, I can't, I just can't, right? Oh, but if it's pretty short. If, if it's a high performer, like, you know, I'll be calling them all the time. What do you think about this? We're sending links to each other. We're like, we're collaborating all the time. It's like, boom, it just flows. Right. And you find yourself nodding at whatever it is that they're saying. Like, yeah. that's what we're talking about. And that's, by the way, if, if you're a high performer, you want to work at a great company, you can apply MP digital. You can apply to single grain. We're always looking to hire a high performer. So anyway, that's it on that. Anything else you want to cover? That's it. If you guys like this episode, make sure you rate and review it. Even if you don't, please rate and review it so at least we learned what we did wrong. If you didn't like it, you can give us a one star. Just tell us what we did wrong and how to improve. Uh, and thank you for listening. Yeah. Hit us on the YouTubes and hit us on the reviews as well. Let us know what you think about the long form. This is our second one doing it. And we will catch you later. We appreciate you joining us for this session of Marketing School. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit marketingschool.io for more resources based on today's topic, as well as access to more episodes that will help you find true marketing success. That's marketingschool.io. Until next time, class dismissed.